Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. When things turn south, who is getting the short end of the stick? Is it the shop owner? Or is it the technician? Is AAC certification still relevant in today's environment? Is it worth training on ADOS, and should you even pull your lab scope out at the beginning of the diagnostic process, or even at all? We cover all this and more with industry veteran Jeff Compton. We talked for over two hours and have just under that in recorded material, so I'll probably break this up into two episodes. Before we get started, don't forget to set this podcast to automatically download the latest episode, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, and keep an eye out for new content on our YouTube channel. And now, here we go. Yeah, it's got me six ways from Sunday side. What year Durango is this? 2012. It, dude, that shows 7.3 hours. Plus Eve, I could recharge. Did they I still assume. make yeah. the um they still make the Dodge Durango in 2012? Yeah. Yeah, it's a Citadel, so it was the I forget what the difference between the Citadel was. Oh, I'm thinking Dakota. Yeah, of course, the Durango. Yeah. So you're I'm thinking so the Durango and the Dakota in 2012 were not a shared platform versus the Durango and the Dakota that were the prior gen were, right? It was just, it was like, right. You know, I, I don't know that they made the Dakota in 2012. I think nine was the last year or something. You're, like that. you're probably right on that. I was out of the dealer by nine. So, you know, it's all becomes a blur after that. So what are you doing to this thing? Pulling the dash out? Why? So have you ever seen David, how the, the seals that are around the blend door or the, any of the research doors, they're, rubber plastic some kind of yeah. and they melt stick to jam the door so then you end up with really good ac on one side of the dash and really good heat on the other in the dual zone but you don't <laughs> get them both right so right you don't get either or yeah you don't, i've had you, broken the the little wheel yeah so that thing snaps 
We run into that all the time. But what causes you know, it's a, what causes that is the plastic actually melts. Like when you flip this box over, it's almost like um, it becomes almost like windshield adhesive that's sticking in the box. You'd swear somebody put like silicone in there, but that's the plastic that gets so hot it just melts, and then the door can't swing on that. I mean, the rod tries to the gear tries to turn it. It's too rough. What's too rough? The audio. No, no, the, the plastic, oh, yeah. it's, it, it can't swing. On. Yeah. And then you'll, you'll hear the gears trying to work. And then all of a sudden you'll hear a clunk and who owned FCA in 2012. Was it FCA or was it, or still? Yeah, I want to say it was FCA. Was it in 2012 uh, and, um, it wasn't still Chrysler. I'm not sure. Honestly, 2000, it would have been I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to figure out who to blame for all this. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that platform. So, Way back in the day, like 2005, 2006, when I was still at Chrysler at the dealership, the Rams were were breaking the doors in the box all the time. Yeah, I remember Um, that. But they'd break the stops off, right? And then the door would go past the point, and then it couldn't come back. And they actually, I don't know, extended the the warranty coverage or something. Um, Calibration flashes, all that. None, none of it ever fixed it. It was just the the stops in the in the box were too weak, and it would come across and break it, and then it would go past, and then. But Chrysler's never built good HVAC ever, so I mean it's kind of uh, goes without saying. But getting back to it, I just I hate hate dash work. It, it just makes me paranoid because so much of the plastic wants to break that I go really slow, and then when you see how that dash panel lays onto the what i call the cage that goes around the box the box is obviously is bolted to the firewall everybody's like oh you can pull that off as one unit no you can't you cannot you can't get the screws out to get the box to come with the dash pad it all has to come apart separately it's not like the trucks and the vans where you can unbolt it and lift the whole thing pull it to one side sneak your box out the passenger side you can't do it so everybody's like everybody's like oh see i i I hate that, right? Because that that's what I I would always follow somebody's advice and then I'd be pissed off because I'd try it for like an hour to get something to work that oh. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. If I'd spent the hour I'd have had the damn thing out, you know. And and looking at this like Shopkey still has a long way to go in terms of how to say, okay, I want to go to a procedure on how to remove something from the service information. It should start with the first step should be to remove the wiper cowl because that was that makes things so much easier in this truck if you remove the wiper cowl because you can't see the bolts to undo the coolant lines or the AC lines going into the dash right in the center if you don't remove the wiper cowl. So it's because you have one bolt that like goes through the firewall that you can take out to pull the cage away from the, the firewall on the inside of the truck. It's just stupid. And I'm not that's not where I'm not a kid that was great at puzzles. I found this that a right. lot of mechanics are like, they were really good at puzzles or they were really good at like reading a roadmap. I'm one of those roadmap guys. I ain't one of them puzzle guys. Right. So, like I, I, I don't have the attention span for it. Oh, that's what I find. And I, and I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, you were talking about the other day, ADD versus ADHD. And, and right. I mean, and I think that I have some of that. And I, hey, dude, it, it's crazy you even bring it up because my wife's listening to this book right now. Yeah. Um, and and I'll ask her. I'll, I'll text her while we're talking. And and so we, my son is wide open. And and you know, David and I have talked about this a couple times. 
but but my son just does not stop. Right. And I remember being... Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Just like he is, and and it's it can be super overwhelming, especially like when you're in a public place because this kid's ready to go, mm-hmm. right? Like he, he is rip-roaring, and you're not going to stop him, and he's going where he wants to go, and if you try and stop him, it's a fight. And so she's she's been reading this book or listening to this book, and it's talking about ADD. And we're both sitting around going, "Oh, I, I uh oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe he got that from us, <laughs> you know?" Because it, I mean, it's pretty crazy. And like some of the things they bring up, it's nuts. So is it is it nature or nurture? Is it a chemical thing that's passed on genetically, or is it your parents raised you a certain way, so you tend to put little ear markers into the way you raise him, and in turn. You get this kind of, I mean, I'm asking as an honest question because I don't really know. I mean, my parents kind of like, you know, they'd hit you first and tell you why they hit you after. Like, that's kind of how we were brought up. We were just, I can remember, I, I, we were brought up. It's a social I, construct. It doesn't exist. I, I don't know. I, I think that, I think that it is naturally occurring. And I think that the problem is, is we're getting into a world that is so stimulating in so many different directions. Like, for instance, my daughter, from the time she was very little, she would be locked on a screen, right? You give her a screen and she's focused 100% on it and she could be there for hours and that's it. So we we had to have rules and things like, hey, you can't can't just get focused on the screen. You got to do other things. Little dude, man, 30 seconds. Like that, it better be a very engaging show. You've got 30 seconds before he wants and to. And so, yeah. And so like. Yeah, but see, it, my son, it calmed down. My son was exactly like that. It calmed down by six, maybe by six right. years old. Like it, it tempered quite a bit. Now. Yeah. I mean, he's a zombie. You put him in front of Minecraft. He's. Well, he's see, done. I mean, look, I, I just wonder though, if. That that leads to my next question: Are we medicating, and are we trying to treat a disorder? And I'm no doctor by any means. Yeah, but are we medicating and trying to treat disorders 
and trying to to fix something that is just hu- what human beings are. So right, we're trying to come up with a name for something that they just are. So see, that was what I was going to I was going to say that is because my my mom would joke that I think a lot of the kids that had ADHD or you know maybe were a bit on the spectrum even they'll joke and say, well, we used to just smack that out of them. You know what I mean? Like right. when I was brought up, so you got to remember my, mine is my mom had my brother and I were twins. So she always had two of us. So from the time we were going anywhere with her, she would give us each a book and right. that was your entertainment. And she would go and visit people and, and they come from a very kind of traditional family of kids are meant to be looked at and not heard. So it would be right. nothing for us to sit there and read for an hour, an hour and a half, uh, talk to each other maybe, but not interrupt the conversation, right, between the adults. It was right. just the way we were brought up. So it's really weird now for me when I see these kids that, like we joked about, it was like kids that were what we would have quote unquote called hyper when I was a kid were kids that were, oh, they had just had too much sugar in their diet, right? And they right. they weren't raised the same as us, so that's why they were just going around 100 miles an hour is because they were allowed to. It was going unchecked, right? And right. so I don't know. Psychology I, I, is fascinating I, to me, and I don't know if it is, like you said, a human nature thing or if it's a difference of what the world is. is. Too many soybeans. Well, <laughs> is it? Are the hormones in the chicken? Like, you know, the... There's no hormones in chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so it's been illegal since like the 60s. I think they inject chickens with anything. Well, whatever is well, so the name is of the soybeans, book. however, yeah, you can load that sucker up. You can <laughs> mutate them to be whatever the hell you want, and then you can feed it to the chickens. So yeah, so it's them. indirect, is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, so uh, the the name of the book is How Not to Murder Your ADHD Kid. Okay, and and it's it's actually very very enlightening. It's very interesting. You know, and and I I find myself being just a wee bit biased because you'll you know both of you know this you listen to me talk all the time mm-hmm. but the the Ken Robinson thing right where he said he was making fun of of ADHD in a way and he's like I'm not I'm not a psychologist I can't tell you if it's real or not I'm just telling you that that the instances of of ADHD they were at a period of time, they were non-existent in California. And then you got to Kansas and they were starting to pick up a little bit. And then they made it to Virginia and it was worse. And all of a sudden you got to DC and it was off the charts. And it seems like everybody there had lost their mind. And, you know, he kind of made a joke about it, but he said, like, we, we are trying to educate children in the most enlightening time in the world, right? There's iPhones, there's yeah. um, music streaming services, there's podcasts, there's television, there's video games, there's all this stuff, and we expect them to be engaged in basic schoolwork, right? Yeah. Like that, and and so I think I have more of a problem with the school system saying like, "Hey, your child has ADHD, and we need to medicate them." That I think that's a problem yeah. for me. I don't think because. I've got some friends that like, and all it doesn't even have to be friends. I can tell you people that are on mild medication. And then you got to remember up here, Mm -hmm. like weed is legal and weed has been legal for a long time up here that I have a lot of people in my social circle that went from, I think they were on Ritalin as a kid to now they, they smoke up every day. Like that is their, that is their medication. So and I'm not anti or pro one way or the other. I don't smoke it. I don't need to smoke it. I keep myself pretty, right. m- m- you know, even keel without anything. But 
I'm just, I think that that is a slippery slope when we start to say, okay, your 10 10 year old needs to be on Ridland because Ridland could make them feel one way. Then when they get to be about 12 or 13, they start to maybe experiment with a joint here and there. They find that that makes them feel different, maybe better. And all of a sudden now you've got a habitual lifelong cannabis user, which depending on what side of the, the argument you're on is good or bad, you know? Well, and, and, you know, here's my thought is, especially when it comes to cannabis, right? Like been there, done that, Mm -hmm. spent many, many years as a stoner. Yeah. I I think my thought is, is that I know for a fact, and you do a little bit of research, it heavily affects brain development in young people. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I know that they say all these drugs that they just hand out like they're candy to kids. They say that they're safe. It has no long-term effects. But do you think that some of this stuff could actually be having an effect? Oh, 1,000%. Right? Like we, we don't know what the – you don't see the effect, right? It takes years and years and years, and they look back later and like, oh, crap, that was bad. <laughs> you know, like, whoops, sorry. Well, I think – I mean – I think with this current situation, and I hate everything that always seems when it talks with me, it comes back to COVID. But, I mean, I think what this is – if anything is going to come out of it is that people have to realize is that – the big pharmaceuticals don't really know what's what they're doing when they do it yeah. causing the effect. If they do, they know they're not being 100% all cards on the table about what it does. Right. And I think COVID in the vaccine has shown that or should be showing that well, now we've got a, we've got a dedicated contin- contingent up here that will go and get four jabs, five jabs, six jabs. We've got our government that's saying now, you know, you're going to need a jab every nine months if you want to travel out of the country. Like, it's it's getting really stupid. And the fact that there is still a handful of people that are like uh, not at risk at all. I'm talking in their 30s, in their 20s that will line up and get that jab, even if they don't have a passport and want to fly out of the country. They're just because they they tune into, I mean, up here at CBC, but they'd be like tuning into CNN and being told you need to get the jab because there's a new variant and a new risk. And people just line up like zombies and get it. You know, and, and that was, that's something that we've talked about before because you, th- there's this guy, uh, what's his name, David, the, the YouTube guy, John, John, Cam- John yeah. Campbell. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. Dr. John Campbell. That sounds and, right. and so dude, from the very beginning, he was like, Hey, this is dangerous. You need to be safe. You need to, you need to do all these things, right? Yeah. You need to, you need to make sure that you protect yourself and wear a mask. And you, you know, when we get a vaccine, you need one, Mm -hmm. but then at one point or another, he came out and was like, Whoa, hang on now. Um, we're taking this too far. Yeah. He starts, we're, we're, you know, we're, the problem is, is that what you're doing is you're continuing to push this narrative so hard that the people no longer believe you. And the problem is, is when something really bad is going to happen, you're going to be the little boy who cried wolf. Nobody's going to listen. Yeah. And I'm probably and, I'm probably in that group now where I'm even more skeptical and more cautious of taking anything into my body, right? That is that's right. supposed to prevent something. Because I've seen too many effects now of this that has caused more damage than it was ever gonna prevent. I mean, you figure it's got a ninety eight point four percent survival rate, the disease itself. And it has a 1% efficiency effectively rate of actually preventing you from getting it. I mean, our own leader here has been jabbed oh, three times and he's caught it twice. Right. If you believe everything that, that they say. So what at this, and he's a 45 year old, 
well, no, he'd be 51-year-old male in much better shape than myself. He's at zero risk, right? It's just a right. pandering at this point to say, look at me. I got it to keep you safe. Well, there's no well, argument so, anymore. And, and you know, I, I, I think that I think it got taken far too far, oh. right? And and I, you can't help but wonder what else there is behind it. David, what are your theories on what's behind it? David's got all kinds of theories on what's yeah. behind it. David and I are probably a lot more alike. About? Yeah, on conspiracy theories about? of COVID, David. No, it's not yeah. conspiracy theories. Get the job. <laughs> Mask up. Oh, shit. You can't even say that with a straight face, and I'm not even looking at you, and I know you're not. <laughs> Jabby kids. Oh my god! I think I think we just got the uh, six month old and younger, or six month old and up jab approved, something like that. See, that's the part that disgusts me. I don't care if somebody's over the age eighteen and chooses to do it; that's their problem. Yeah, yeah. But there should be no way. Like up here, our teachers were staying, essentially threatening they were going to strike and stay off work when our kids had already been over a year between an actual real classroom because of their threat. The kids are little super spreaders and are going to make us sick and we need to stay home and keep doing classroom, you know, and we joked about it the other day when we we're sitting around the shop at lunch hour. It's like, we're going to, they're going to hit the workforce in two more years. And imagine when they come into the shop and you now have to talk to them about how to go yeah. over there and take that, you know, drill that lug nut out or something like that. Like they're going to, it's, it's going to be interesting is a polite way to put it. Because they're not they're not used to being able to have to they're not used to being able to show up at a certain time and have to stay there for the day, right? They tune well, in, tune out, log in, log out. Right, and I, I, you know, our kids are homeschooled now, but I think that is something important to point out is that that I really think that that the school system that's what it was designed to do was help pe- get people used to that expectation, mm-hmm. right? This is what we do. We get up, we go to work. This is now I, you know, I was homeschooled too, but I grew up in a family that worked, right? Right. Like that's just what we did. Like hanging out with mom and dad was not going places. And we went places. I'm not saying we didn't, but like it was, it was literally being at work. Right. Right. It's learning (laughs) the family business, right? Right. It didn't seem odd to me. It didn't seem weird. See, homeschooling up Um, here is a very... You tend to be like, if you do it now prior to COVID, if you did it, you were looked at as like a hardcore Christian fundamentalist, or you were looked at as like one of those people that was really scared of, you know, oh, I'm not getting my kid even vaccinated against, you know, anything that's mandatory because I believe that like, you know, because up here, our school boards say, if your child's not vaccinating it, you know, for measles, chicken pox, polio, and that kind of stuff, by the time they're in five, they can't go to a public school. They can't attend. They right. Now, you can go, well, my freedom of right says this, and the kid will be allowed to go to school. But you'll probably find one or two schools within the school board that will drag their feet and not make a spot available for your child. So prior to COVID, those were the kind of people that everybody kind of looked at and went, you homeschool your kid, you must be this. Now, there's a lot more people that will not be sending their kids back to school. Right. And that's weird yeah. because I think it's like you learn to learn one way or you learn to learn like you did at home or you learn to learn in a classroom setting. I don't believe necessarily right. that at 10 years old, you can just flick a switch and go to doing both. I think it's. No, I don't think so. You know, 
I, I, you know, I, I think that if you have been in a public school setting, I think you can, you can transition pretty well into the homeschool setting. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you can transition from the homeschool setting to where you're learning the things that you're interested in. You're working on the things that, that stand out to things that you already excel at. And you're focusing on those because for me and Alex, that's really what homeschool was about is we wanted to focus on the things that our kids thrived in, right? Like, I I think that's my problem with public education is that we're not focusing on what we thrive in. We're focusing on everything. Now, please don't misunderstand. We still work the other, the subjects, Mm -hmm. right? The basic subjects, they're, they're, the academics are still important, but it's more engaging because the majority of the time isn't necessarily spent on the academics. It's spent in working in areas that they enjoy. Yeah. And so it makes it a lot more enjoyable. I, I, I think that, you know, if you get a chance, you should go watch that Ken Robinson video because that's what he's talking about is he's talking about like we developed this educational system many, many years ago and we've not modified it. And he's like, I, I understand that we don't have the answer for what the educational system needs to be. I'm just saying that what we've got may not be the best, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we've got to do something. And, and you know, it, it kind of comes back to Brian and I were talking about this last night. And we were talking about the automotive world. Mm. And I, we were talking about the standards. And we were he was saying, like, you know, I really kind of get what you're saying that, you know, I keep saying we need to improve the industry. The industry needs to get better. But he's like, I keep hearing you say like, well, you are the industry. What are you going to do? Right? Like we can't just sit here and talk about what's wrong with it. Like we have to do something to make it better because we are the industry. Well, and that's, and that's, that's it. Like, I mean, I'm so blessed that I get to talk to him just about every day and you as well. And I mean, it's because, you know, I talked to him the other day. I went, so what happened in the meeting? What sat down? And he's, and he, he didn't get into a bunch of details. He just said that I'm right now they're, you know, Jim's going to let him know if he's a foreman or a mechanic, but he's not both. And so right. he was showing me his little notebook of the hours that he turned, you know, and he turned like, that was, I don't know, three o'clock in the afternoon. He still had another diag that was just about done and it was going to pay two hours or something. And he was sitting at 13 hours sold. Right. So, you know, I think it's, and therein goes the whole other thing, right? Cause it's the same like I've been sharing all those different things to, you know, guys that are all, oh, you know, I like this the way it is right now. And yeah, it works for some people that can turn 12 hours a day and flat rate works. And then, right. but you got to remember a guy like Brian that can turn 12 hours a day in Diag is a one in a thousand, right? In terms yeah. of accurate Diag, like that can, that comes in. And now, you know, it's like the more you get exposed to, the more pattern failures you learn, you kind of like, I know it, but I mean, he is, he's, he's, he's next level in terms of being able to do it. And the fact that like, you know, and I'm not saying Brian doesn't get, Brian gets paid well, Brian's treated pretty good. But when I say to him all the time, your kids are young right now, but your kids are going to be, before you know it, are going to be involved in a lot of stuff away from school. And you're going to want to be able to, to leave at four, to leave at three, 
you know, to go watch your kid in a wrestling match or, you know, a softball game or any of that kind of stuff. And you're not going to be able to do that when you're the guy that comes in and unlocks the shop in the morning and the guy that locks the door at night and the guy that puts out all the fires during the day. You're not going to be able to do that. And you have to decide, you know, is the money worth it or do you, you know, and, you know, I don't want to see him leave that job because I think he's got it very good in terms yeah, of pay and he enjoys area. it yes, right he, he enjoys does. the job the customers and love him they come in and more of the time they ask to speak to him than they than they want to speak to dean right and i know that firsthand because that's very much how where i'm at the shop has progressed to they come in and they don't even look to see if jake is my manager's name They're, they come to me and say can you do this to my car can you order that and i have to say go to him and talk to him about scheduling because i don't know when Everything that you want done to your vehicle, we certainly can do. I just can't give you a time frame or a price because I'm working on three other cars right now or, you know, in the middle of something else and Jake's your guy. But they don't come to him with my car is doing something and can you look at it? They come and find me in the shop and go, hey, since, you know, this or that or you remember how you said this was going to be the next thing, I think it's doing that. Brian deals with that at a much higher level. all day long and still manages to get all that work done. And I mean, it's, it's just, you know, he's, he's head and shoulders above where, where I am and where I ever will be. And that's, that's okay. It's just, uh, you know, he, Jim, I talk all the time and I say to Brian all the time, I said, it's, I'm glad I haven't met Jim because I think if he heard me rant, sometimes he would think that I have a real hate on him. I don't, I just think that I don't think Jim realizes exactly what he has. I mean, I think he sees that he has a really talented tech and, and thanks to Brian and his, their relationship, Jim? Jim is Brian. Sorry, David, Jim is Brian's uh, shop owner, boss partner. I call it a partner because it literally started out in a small shop, a pole barn for all intents and purposes where they built that business and then bought a, a Goodyear store that was going out, revamped it, turned it around, bought a second location. They're up to like three locations now, I think. And and all the hard stuff that gets pulled from the other two winds up in Brian's lap. So it is, well, you know, it literally started as Jim and Brian working on cars. Um, you know, here's the, here's my point is, is I, I know Jim probably would not <clears throat> appreciate some of the things or the, the fact that, that, Brian and you and I have had some mm-hmm. of the conversations we've had for sure. Right. Yep. But you know, in the same respect, you know, I, what I've said to, to Brian is, Hey, look, you need to respect the guy. Mm-hmm. You need to go talk to him. You need to go have those conversations with yep. him. Right. Like, and, and that's what I told Brian. I was like, look, go share, dude, I'm burnt out. Mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. I can't keep doing this. Right. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to do what's best for the business, but I, I can't keep doing what I'm doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I, it was really interesting to see that it was really interesting to hear those discussions and, you know, and, and hear the flip side of it. And I, I've been on to you about that too. And I just look at it from my perspective, if I was the owner in those shoes, mm-hmm. well, today I, I had a different experience and, and one of our listeners is, is somebody that I'm talking about hiring. Um, I've known him for a while and he's local here and he was telling me, you know, I asked him, I was like, Hey, you've been really happy where you're at. Why are you considering moving? It's a fair question. And he said, um, well, man, he said, I got to be honest with you. He said, I, I had to have these surgeries done. And he said, we made this deal that 
Um, they were going to pay me. I was going to kind of take a foreman role. They were going to pay me what I had been making my average flat rate week. He's on straight flat rate. So if he doesn't turn hours, he doesn't get paid. And he's like, they were going to pay me what I make my standard flat rate week until I got better and could go back to work. And I was going to be working with training the new guys. I was going to be handling the shop foreman role, dealing with those things. Maybe eventually we, we modify and change the shop up and I'm more of a foreman in the shop. And, and, you know, that's just the direction we go. And he said, you know, he's like, man, he's like, it was hand surgery. And he's like, I I can't even wipe my butt. Mm -hmm. And he said, here we are two weeks into this deal. And they're like, uh, we can't pay you for doing this. Your hours are dropping. Yeah. And he's like, dude, like, what, what, what do you mean? That, that was the whole purpose of the agreement. Yeah. That's what we were talking about. And they said, well, you know, we, we didn't run it by corporate first. We just thought it would be okay. It's not going to work out. And he's like, so basically you're telling me I'm fired. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't want to fire you. We, want you we just quit. can't pay yeah. you. We want you to quit. <laughs> right. And, and, or we want you to work for free. Yeah. And so then they come back and they, they work out this deal that they're going to pay. <sighs> but it, it's still coming back to the fact that if you're not turning hours, you're, we don't have a spot for you. Right. Like we, we the only people in this shop that are going to be paid are production employees. There's, we need production. There's that P word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Brian's like, last night, Brian sends me a voice message. He said, you know, he said, um, I think uh, Jeff would hate me, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm very productive at work. <laughs> He's like, I just need to find a different word for productive to share with Jeff. Oh, it's, and I don't, I don't hate the word. I just hate the word when it's used as a judgment of somebody's, uh, value within the company. Right. Uh, right. I just, I think that it's, is it a, an important element to it? Variable for sure. It is definitely right. But I think that at the end of the day, if, well, if somebody had only ever judged me in this industry on how many hours I produced, they'd have missed the boat. Because, right. like, some days, you know, when it just depends on what I'm given. Some days I can turn. And I, I can't turn what I used to now. My, I, I got issues really bad with my shoulders in the last year, my elbow, my hands, all of that, my knees. So, I mean, I'm not going to ever be where it's like I'm going to turn 20 hours again you know, in a day, right. I'm not gonna, but I can still consistently like, especially these guys that are doing like, you know, and this is the, always comes back to, I love flat rate. I make 12 hours a day consistent. Yeah. You're doing ball joints and brake jobs and tires all day long. Plus the alignment, the alignment, you charge one five, you take it, you do it done in 35 minutes, right? Like everything is a lot of overlap and you can almost cut your time. And that Brian and I were talking the other day, I said, pretty much if we do the math on, it's easy to make an 18 hour or a 16 hour day. If you work through your lunch and every job that you get, you can cut it in half. Then it's easy. It's easy. I I did that for years at the dealership. Years. And that's like, so when we, but was I doing drivability all day long? No. Right. There'd be, oh, a caravan rack and pinion. It paid, you know, 4.1 and I'd do it in 45 minutes. Like the old, it was, yeah. So you, did you. I did Sorry, I had a tech kill some book time. He left the radiator cap off the car. <laughs> oh, so see? And then he just destroyed book time. Yeah. And it was, you know, we had we didn't pad the ticket or anything like that. It was a yeah. it was a difficult job. Yeah. We went by book time. We had our normal percentage. 
to compensate for the fact that it's 14 years old or 15 years old or whatever. And, um, the, the technician, you know, took it as a challenge that he was going to finish it that day. And man, with like two hours to spare, he had that sucker done and it left this morning and he walks up to us and hands us the radiator cab and goes, I think I left this off the uh, car that I worked on. And we're like, oh. oh, first time customer too. Shit. And so we called them. Yeah, we called the customer. He was really cool about it. We we had the technician volunteered. He volunteered. We didn't tell him to do this, but yeah. he volunteered to drive over there, top off the fluids, put the radiator cap on, and apologize. Um, so yeah, uh, it's sometimes it's not about uh, the amount of hours you turn. But see, process. like it's and that kills me though because he wrapped it up with two hours to spare, and yet yeah. didn't catch that on the quality control portion no. of doing the job. That, that well, he. Not not yeah, so pointing there's a, big, fault. there's a large cover. Yep. There's a large plastic cover that goes over the top of where the radiator cap sits. Mm-hmm. And so you have to look for it to see you have to pull this piece off in order to look down and yeah. see it. Because we have a second person QC the car mm-hmm. and check for things like that. Mm-hmm. And that person didn't catch it either because again, they weren't pulling plastic yep. pieces off yep. to then catch the radiator. And it wasn't boiling. Hey, are you gonna get L four ADOS certified? Am I? Yeah. No, sir. Not even, not interested at all. Nope. <laughs> not, not even a little bit? No. I, I think I sent Lucas my my course criteria, what it is, and I'm taking the HVAC diagnostic diagnostics. Well, people don't know where you're taking these at. Where, where are you taking these classes? ASTE. Are you excited about Dude, it? Dude, I'm, like I was saying the other day, I've never in my life wanted to see the summer uh, advance so fast, which is normally what I, I, I mean, I work all year to, to fish from June until October. Right. So, I mean, but I've never can't remember a summer where I've wanted it to get to accelerate so that I can actually physically, I mean, I've never been on a flight in my life ever. Right. I'm really never 47 years old. Never. Have have you been to training events? Never. No, no, dude. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited to, to, to meet Paul Danner. <laughs> I'm excited to meet you guys that I've talked to. I'm, I'm excited to meet so many people that like we've discussed that I've talked to for years through networking on social media and stuff like that, but I've never actually physically met face to face and not yeah, just I'm pretty excited to, you know, well, you live in a completely different country. Yes. So I could see you not meeting a yeah. lot of people, Yeah, but yeah. they have planes in Canada, don't they? But so, yeah, but is I, it all horse and buggy up there? <laughs> Eskimos yeah. or what yeah. is it? Huskies? The, the Amish, the Amish <laughs> go by heads. us in point. Like they laugh at us, right? The, the Amish. Do you have, do you have? <laughs> so we don't call them Amish. Do you have a, we call them Mennonites. Do you have Amish? And, well, they're called Mennonites. No, no, they're, they're different. The Mennonites and, and Amish are different. Completely different. Okay. You don't have Amish people up there? You have just Mennonites? So we have way more Mennonites. Um, I think there's a couple Amish communities. But I, if you were to ask me, I couldn't tell you the difference between what, what justifies one as the other. I, 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 just, yeah, I know they're different. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly. Have, so why not take the L4? It's a, it's a brand new test. Uh, they were requiring three years of experience. It didn't take three years to develop the test. But they're going to require three years to, um, three years of experience in order to get certified. Well, first of all, the certification up here would mean Jack. Um, and then secondly, because ASE is not recognized. I mean, it's, I don't want to say the term recognized, um, 
there's only one chain store in Canada, Canadian Tire, that actually in their advertising used to say our techs are ASE certified. That's it. Yeah. It's it means nothing. Why do you think that is? So, well, going back to it, because up here in Canada, David, or at least most provinces with the exception of Quebec, and you'll find as you get to know anything about Quebec, Quebec is does things different than the rest of Canada. Not bad, not good, just different. That's all I'm going to say. That'll be my PC version of saying it. So you have to be licensed in order to be a tradesperson up here. So the equivalent of becoming getting licensed is it's about three years of on the job, three to five, so many thousand hours, so many weeks in a classroom setting that you actually have to learn. Then go back out. There's a, It's a journey person. Is You're given a book with tasks. It's called. The problem is that through that whole certification process, if you did it five years ago, there was no ADOS. Right. I guess there was, For but sure. yep. it wasn't prevalent, right? Nope. They weren't putting it on everything. So, Although I think the, uh, didn't like the 2013 Ford Focus have a self-park feature? Like the very yeah. top yeah. model. I want to say it was, it was either a Focus or it was something. There, it was the, I'm, I'm super yeah, years certain it was ago. the Focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, if you went through the through the the certification process when there was no ADOS, say like 20 years ago, whatever. Um, now you've got ADOS right. and you haven't, like you said, you haven't been to any training events and training events are great, you know, but you don't need training events in order to keep training. And you can just, you can do it online now Agreed. or you can go to local classes. Yep. So you have to have maintained a certain level of, of uh, training in order to, know what the hell you're doing with with ados and so um just the just because you're certified doesn't mean you know what to do right and you're going to be able to calibrate this vehicle properly and it's not even the calibration it's like what what do you do when the calibration goes wrong how are you going to be able to diagnose the systems are you going to be able to diagnose the different components are you going to be able to know that what you can touch this component and it'll be fine but you can't touch that component otherwise it'll screw everything up so you haven't been taught any of those things. No, I have not. The closest so I had you- to any ADAS exposure was at my previous stint at the Nissan dealer. I changed a backup camera in. I can't remember what it was. An older Nissan. It's maybe an Ultima Maxima, something like that. Maybe it would have been six, seven, eight years old. Change the camera. Go through the process because now uh, the cameras get But they're it. putting these, these systems in all these vehicles yep. now. And I'm telling you, it's going to get to the point, at least in the U.S., where it's going to be mandated. Right. Just like they did with TPMS, everybody's going to go to ADOS because it does offer you a certain level of protection, a certain level of safety that, I'm sorry, there's just no way around it. The car can stop itself with something in front of it. Yep. 99 out of 100 times, it's going to end up saving somebody's life. That one out of 100 times, it stopped on its own in the middle of the interstate. Sure. That might be a problem, right? But for the most part, it's going to prevent accidents. And so it's, it, you know, these manufacturers will come out and say, hey, we're going to put ADOS in absolutely every single one of our vehicles or some form of ADOS. What do you do uh, in in uh, the Great White North with just the certification? You'd, you're saying that, hey, I'm not going to bother with this L4 test. And maybe you don't need the L4 test, but it did just come out. Carm did a whole episode on it with uh, Keith and I guess two guys that, that work for ASE. Um, and they're pushing the test, and yeah, I get it. But I'm curious, uh, a guy that's in the field, what do they see the test as irrelevant? 
Uh, because I think a lot of the ASC tests are seen as irrelevant. I've seen they're, they're, they're nice to have, but not a must, right? Lucas isn't going to not hire. He's looking for a technician right now. Right. Hey, how did your yep. interview go? It went really well. It went really well. and That means and- it was terrible. So <laughs> you're not <laughs> – he's not going to not hire the guy. Is he ASC certified? He's ASC certified and a master in his brand. So he's a master brand in his brand. Specific. Is AC in all eight or just a few? Just a few. Just, just a, few. a few. Okay. So, but if the guy came to you and said, hey, I don't have any, any ASC certifications, uh, but I can operate a Pico 7. I'd probably hire him. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, it, it, it holds that, more Jeff, weight. Yeah. Okay. Th- that's holds my more point, though. How, how did ASC get to the point that saying, hey, I can operate a Pico? I, I'm I'm proficient at a Pico. I pull it out for almost everything, but don't worry, I still pull out the scope on a rope. Well, when he says when he pulls it out for everything, I'd probably rethink hiring him. Why? <laughs> because I'm like, listen, I, and I'm not running down a scope guy or whatever. I just, but I mean, was it Matt Fonzo talked about the other day? Go well, up the other day, a couple weeks ago, about how people fall. I don't know who that is. Oh, come on. Matt Fonzo. Anyway, my friend Matt Fonzo <laughs> mentioned how some guys fall in love with the diagnostic process. I think, he, well, he did a podcast with Paul Danner, I think is where it came up. And some, you know, you pull the scope out for everything. I get it. But Matt kind of alluded to the fact that, listen, I can pull the scope, but if I can swap the coil faster, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Right. If I can stick yeah. the bore scope in there physically and get the picture that I need to get without doing the scope, I'm going to do it because if I turn that picture around and sell it to my customer, that picture of a cracked face on a valve means way more to my customer than a bunch of squiggly lines on the screen. So, I, it, yo, hold so, on. So now. I have you're a just, process. You're just for swapping that. that and I, I get the no. s- swaptronics. I'm with you 100%. <laughs> Four cylinder, you're going to move that one to four, four to one. Maybe you swap the even the spark plugs around, or you're going to be able to eliminate a whole lot of things mm-hmm. very, very quickly mm-hmm. doing it that way. And at the end of the day, that's all you need to know is what part has failed. You don't even need to know why necessarily. You just need to know that right now I know that coil number four is not working. Right. I get that. But you're just swapping one ridiculously expensive piece of equipment with another ridiculously piece of uh, ridiculously expensive piece of equipment, and saying that I'm going to pull the boroscope out. I can just as quickly. You can say, "Yeah, this this picture of this boroscope that's going to capture a high definition picture backwards because it needs to point up, right, to capture right. that broken valve, right? Right. It just as easily, I can hook up a lab scope, run the pressure transducer test, and I can see, hey, that little hump there isn't supposed to be there. It's leaking out into the intake. Look at this little squiggle right there." And I can show the customer because the customer doesn't know either way. Right. They have no idea, sure. right? It's a show. Yep. I'm going to make it look just as impressive throwing up the, the the pressure transducer test, which can be done almost as quickly as pulling out the boroscope and capturing just the right picture. But, and even knowing that that's the direction you need to go in because now you've eliminated the coil and the injectors firing and all that's fine. Now you know there's something mechanical you have to have gotten to the point where you say, yeah, I've got a broken valve. Now I'm going to take a t- picture of the boroscope. You can eliminate all that. You can say, yeah, I'll, I've got something mechanical going on. Hook up the pressure transducer and boom, you're good. The boroscope doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to throw that one completely out. See, I'm going to argue with it all because a seven-year-old kid can point the camera 
at a picture and not know a lick about even what he's looking at, but he can navigate that. It can take somebody a lot steeper of a learning curve. You have to get a really good boroscope, though, to get that kind of picture. And you need to get far far enough along the diagnostic process to even decide to get the boroscope out. But what I'm saying is it's it's maybe an hour with the tool to get competent enough to get a good picture versus how many hours with a lab scope before you can competently say, okay, Mr. Smith, it's going to be a $6,000 engine because this – Pico tells me it is. I, well, look, I I think I think for me the bigger issue is this, right? Like you you give a scope to somebody who doesn't know how to interpret the data, right? Like and and I, I you know me, I'm a big Paul Danner fan, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I, I somebody comes to me and David, you've mentioned this before, and they say, hey, listen, uh, I've I've been doing Paul Danner's training. You know, when I ask, that's part of the hiring process. What training do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I've, I've been through Paul Danner's book. Man, you're hired, right? Yeah. I don't even like yeah. the fact that you invested I, in yourself. That's my right point there. is I think that's that's a much bigger indicator of a quality yeah. employee or potentially qua- a potential quality employee. The fact that they went through Paul Danner's book, they, they're subscribed to his yearly program, whatever, they pay the 100 bucks or whatever to, to be uh, part of his, his uh, premium stuff. The best $13 a month he can spend. I'm going to I'm going to wait. I'm going to take that and run with it. I'm going to say that I'm hiring that guy over the guy that walks in and says, "Yeah, I've got all eight of my certs." I agree. Yeah, of I course. Agree. Absolutely. Every day. And and here's the Do thing. Do you think that's most shop owners? I I think so. And I'll tell you why because we've all been burnt by the ASE promise. Well, it's, right? We've all been burnt by the guy that comes in and says he's ASE certified. And and here's the So how does ASE maintain their relevance? <laughs> are they I mean, still I just did had, they? are they still relevant? Did they? Carm just had two ASC like bigwigs on with Keith, and maybe Keith helped them develop the 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 test or whatever. But I'm just telling you, like if ASC approached you, Jeff, and said, "Hey, we believe that you're a subject matter expert. We really want to tap your knowledge, and we're going to pay X amount of dollars to help us develop test, you know, L five, uh, whatever boroscope diagnostics," and so. You'd jump all over it. You'd feel flattered. You'd be like, oh, they think I'm an expert. You'd be all over it. You wouldn't turn your nose up and go, you guys are completely irrelevant. I don't care how much you pay me. I'm not putting my name on this because nobody's going to give two flips. Uh, but I'm I'm not. It's the same. So take it one step further backwards to up here where it's, okay, are you licensed when I hire you or are you not licensed, right? That's the term that we use. So You can't hire somebody that's not licensed, right? Oh, I can. I can hire as an apprentice, right? So they are an yeah. enrolled apprentice. And that means that the journey person is supposed to sign off on everything they do, check everything they do. The journey person, for the most part, is liable on anything that happens. So what you have up here is a situation, there's a lot of guys that are licensed, so they pass the the trade certification exam, they did their hours, they did their training. And yet when you put them into a situation where they have to diagnose something, some struggle a lot, really bad because of the, they don't have the hands on in the classroom. They don't get the hands on at their job. So you got to remember you can work in a transmission shop. So up here, Mr. Transmission is still a thing. You can work in a transmission shop for three years. You could get everybody in your mentor in the, in the shop, the journey persons to sign in your book saying you have completed these tasks. You are proficient in doing these repairs and you'll become a licensed technician, right? You then go write your trade exam. You pass it. You're a licensed technician now, but 
if you've only ever worked in a transmission shop or a tire shop, how good is the guy that's only ever worked in a trans in a tire shop going to be on a transmission? How good is the guy that's only worked in well, a transmission shop going to be well, good all, at all you're doing is is knocking down government mandated certification, which you know I applaud you for because we have yahoos all the time here in the U.S. that are like, oh, we need to have mandated certifications that'll fix absolutely everything. And you're like, you know what? There are states that do it, and there's an entire country to the north that does it. Right. And you know what? Same problem. So garbage work, garbage technicians, because so garbage to shop me, owners. ASE in my and again, so up here and uh, from my exposure to what I see down there and to most of the people that I talk to, ASE is a money grab. It is a a situation of well, look, I passed the test. Okay, go over there and fix that car. It's got a fuel system lean fault. I'm going to come in two hours. If you can't tell me what you've eliminated in two hours, I don't care if you've. If you're a master, I don't care. It, you, right. You're not. You're not well, what and, we need in the well, industry. Fanslow, Fanslow, in the in the episode that he did with us, he said that ASE needs to be seen as a minimum level of competency or at least knowledge, and that's all that ASE should be viewed. But it means that the guy. So there, means that there, the tech passed a test. Just like up here. Well, that's what he's saying, though. But to pass the test, you have to have a certain level of knowledge. You have to know of the systems. You need to be able to be uh, to read uh, an alignment sheet. But knowledge is knowledge is not according to the alignment. There's a certain level of skill involved in looking at an alignment sheet and saying, "Hey, that car's going to pull to the left." I can't look at an alignment sheet and say that car's going to pull to the left. It looks like a bunch of numbers to me. Mm And I, I'm just going to see green or red. Right. But a good alignment tech's going to look at it and say, that car's going to pull to the left. That car's not going to pull at all, but it's going to tear up the tires. Right. So there's a certain level of skill that has absolutely nothing whether you can fix the car mm-hmm. or not. But the problem is, it's how they're positioned in the market. They're positioned in the market as though if you have your certification, you are at a high competency, competency level in that particular subject. And... Fanslow, to his credit, said uh, it needs to be viewed as a minimum level of knowledge in that particular I tell everybody, and, and take the test so that at least when you go, you have leverage to negotiate your starting wage. And I, listen, Not I, with shop I owners who know what the hell they're talking about. I, don't, right, I the, won't care. I, yeah, exactly. I, I don't put any weight on it at all, right? Like, I don't put any weight yeah, on it. It's good for marketing. I, I, I yes. can't help but, but wonder if the beginning of the end for ASE... Was, They're rolling out new tests. What are you talking about? Thirty-four dollars to register. Thirty-four dollars to register. Hundred dollars to take the test. I'm paying for my guys to go get their their certifications, right? Like I'm paying for that. And if nobody There's bothers no to take it. the test, I've got Why? some sitting right here behind. If nobody me. bothers to take but, the test. Who cares if they make a hundred new tests? But but my point, and and that that's kind yeah, of part not, of it. They're but, not going to keep putting out new tests just to but hang on they've been doing 20 years of doing absolutely nothing in my opinion in the industry and they're still somebody's been paying for these tests and apparently it's been lucas (laughs) (laughs) well but i mean look the the relevancy of it i I wonder if it started to decline remember when they started developing less and less um uh i don't know the right way to say it but basically they were they were dumbing down the test so the the lube techs could pass the test that's what happens up and here. then they come up with a gs well right they, then they add they I'm, I'm okay with them adding tests i am too i am too but i'm saying do you think that that big companies might have in other words it's a pay-to-play game and and they have some influence on the board of directors or whatever it is so you're thinking like says, firestone hey, is pumping money into asc so that to 
give the illusion as though they're hiring high level technicians. Right. I mean, is that possible? Do you think that could because you're calling me a conspiracy theorist? I'm no, I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm asking you because all of a sudden they started. I would be very shocked if that's not happening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.